Well, here we are. Uh, July the 26th, 2020, lecture discussion number 110 on the book of Joel, Daniel, Revelation, Ecclesiastes. Really fast, and let's interject this. I got a letter from uh, these wonderful ladies down in Bakersfield, California. They want to know whether or not it's my opinion if this COVID-19 virus is a result of manipulation by a human being. In other words, a a weaponized virus out of a facility that we know is in Wuhan, China. Um, I know there are some people who have great expertise in determining whether or not a virus has been manipulated. Uh, And they, at this point, are denying that those are Americans. But I'm not sure that anybody would tell us if it were true or not. And so at this point, I just have to wonder whether or not, uh, because of how it is able, how the lethality of it and how it is able to defend itself always makes me wonder. I'll get into that a little bit next week. I would say that I am leaning in that direction. There's no question about it because I recognize that communism always does what communism always does, which is kill everybody it can. It is a control-based, atheist-based system. It is evil, I believe, in the sight of the Lord. So anyway, maybe next week I can get on that. I just thought I'd bring it up today. I don't know why. So... July 26, 2020, lecture discussion number 110 on the book of Daniel, Joel, Daniel, Revelation, Ecclesiastes, in case I forgot that. I think I didn't. We shall begin today with a letter on Adam and Eve. I got a nice, wonderful letter from Marianne on Adam and Eve because I'm going to do it. The reason I'm doing it is because I never or I seldom let pass an opportunity to interject Adam into the lecture because this is the foundation of the Bible. If you get the foundation right, you get it square, you get it poured, you get your rebar in, your your hold downs in your uh, anchor bolts, and you get them all there, and, it, and, it's, and everything is perfect on the on the foundation, then the house goes up pretty easy. And Adam and Eve and Satan, the first three chapters, four chapters actually of Revelation, are so critical. So here's an opportunity to add some more things. People will say to me, you... Uh, you never have a lecture on any subject that's complete. And that's true because, one, it is, it is a book that is impossible to complete. And every time I read this story, I always find something that I, I go, well, I never put that in a lecture yet. And so, again, it gives me an opportunity to do that. And having an understanding of the staggering complexity of Adam and the woman, at the minimum, you recognize all the questions that are there. You don't have necessarily the answers. Some of the answers aren't, aren't knowable at this point. They'll be written in our hearts. But uh, at least if you know what the questions are, the known unknowns, I would call them, and that's essential, as are the unknown unknowns. You have to know that you don't know things. There are unknowns that you don't even know are unknowns when you approach the Bible. And if you are of the mind that Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, any part of it, and I know there are Many millions, you're the predominant group. You are the cohort with the most in it. If you have this view that Genesis 2, Genesis 3 is somehow or is simple in any way, uh, well, my goodness, you're in need of a reevaluation of that. And for example, the fig coverings alone require years and years of study. And we're just going to take a little bit of run at them again today. I've done it in the past, but I promise you, that I never got anywhere close to it. 
And I have said that, in effect, Adam covered himself in tar and feathers. In other words, I'm implying, not implying, I'm flat out stating that the putting on of the fig leaves has a relationship to his confession at his trial. Um, so the tar and feathers, if you will. The language also with respect to the, the girded uh, fig leaves asked the first immediate question, why did he choose fig leaves? Obviously, he had a reason for choosing them. And he assigned them to something. And Christ, of course, also assigns fig trees to something. So you begin to see last Adam and first Adam, first Corinthians 15. All of that's there. But if, uh, again, to go back a second before I lose my own idea of what I want to do today. The language in the Old Testament lends an element of protection, of girding oneself. So Adam is protecting himself. Next obvious question. What is he doing that for? What is he, what is he afraid of? He even says that he's afraid. And we asked a few years ago, maybe months, I don't know how long, what is it exactly that he's fearing? How much is he feeling, fearing? Is it one thing or is it multiple things? Is he able to multitask? Obviously, this is an intellect we have never experienced. Clearly, he can do, he can think and do things at a level we cannot even recognize. But the fact that he is girding himself, putting on protection in some form, as well as tar and feathering himself, in my opinion, that implies that Adam has an understanding of what's going to be said about him in Romans 5.12 and Romans 5.14. He knows that's happening. How did he figure it out? What that is, is, of course, is that he is a type of Christ. And in 5.12 says, sin and death comes through him. And he knew that. Again, he puts this protection on himself. He puts this protection on Eve. The fact that I, I think that he understands Romans 5.12 through 5.14, that adds an avalanche of more implications. Again, how did he figure it out? When did he figure it out? How long were they in the garden protected or girded from one another? Why did he choose fig leaves? All of that, those elements were thoughtful. They were highly intelligent beings. And they made highly intelligent decisions uh, after this fall occurs. And to repeat the, or to give you the, the scripture, through one man, and that's a, you can say through one Adam, Adam and man are interchangeable. Through one Adam, sin entered the world and, all, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all Adams or all men because all sin. That he understood in my opinion. I think it's obvious that he did. I think it's obvious because I see the fig leaf coverings. So the fig coverings associate with an admission, a confession, uh, if you follow my logic of the knowledge, that the blessing of Genesis 127 and 128 has been affected by his sin, and that is to go forth and multiply. He is stopping himself from multiplying, in my opinion, again. I'll say that a lot today, but I think the evidence is on my side. I'm going to be able to defend it. Adam knew that the fig leaves and the blessing to multiply were now uh, interconnected, if you will. The, the blessing to multiply was in jeopardy. And that had a, that's why he put uh, those fig leaves on himself and why he chose the fig leaves. It wasn't arbitrary. It's not coincidental. You can find the clues of the fig tree and the fig leaves all throughout the Bible. And that's why I always ask simple questions. I think, for example, how long was he there covered in those leaves uh, waiting for God? 
How long? How much time expired from when the woman disobeys Genesis 2-7, disobeying Genesis 2-7? Uh, what am I saying 2-7? That's, that's a mistake. <sighs> Must be 3-7, huh? Yeah, the, that's 3-7. Somebody said 2-7 because I like to say 2-7 a lot. That's where the spirit and the body are connected. So when, how much time from when the woman disobeyed in Genesis 3-7 and the question of Genesis 3-9? How much time took? did it take? Oh, I'm wrong oh, again. Let me look it up now, my goodness. What, is, what did I want to say and what did I say are not the same? No, I'm, I'm actually, it is 3-7. How much time from the period of time when, when the woman gave the apple to Adam to the question of 3-9? 3-9, of course, is that great question, where are you, Adam? That's the sound of God, the Lord God, the Lord God. Make sure you know that. That is a physical manifestation of God, of the triune Elohim, the us, the one that is physically manifested, the invisible made visible, is walking in the garden. And the Lord God asks of Adam, where are you? Now, that's omniscience asking questions, and that's always a mystery. Never pass over omniscience asking a question. As you know, the Lord God eventually curses the ground and the fig tree. Genesis 3.17, Matthew 21, 18 through 22. So I have Genesis 3.17, and I have uh, Matthew 21, 18 through 22. The ground is cursed, and then Christ also curses the fig tree. And this in, in itself is extraordinary that he does not curse Adam, he curses the ground, and he curses a fig tree. And so the Lord God curses the fig tree, Mark eleven, twelve through twenty-four. I, I don't have time to put that on the board today, I got a lot to do. And the Lord uh, after he curses the fig tree, what does he do? He immediately goes and cleanses the temple. Now, that should make you start to question. Look at the order. Is this a little bit too loud, Terry? I think I'm feeding back slightly. Let me pull this, pull this. You got it? I'll pull this forward so I get in front of that speaker. I got a fig and I got a temple. Okay, what is Adam? What are we? What's our bodies are what? Temples. He cleans out the temple and he curses the fig tree. That's the order of Matthew 21, 18 through 22. What's the order up here in Genesis 3? He removes the fig leaves and what does he do? He covers them with blood. What's blood? He cleanses what? So you see those patterns are obvious, at least I hope they are, and they help a great deal understanding this. So there's this connection between the temple and the fig tree, and I just barely covered that. we got a long way to go there. And I often come across the view that Christ cursed the fig tree because he was hungry for figs. And I just go, oh gosh, please. Infinite, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God in the flesh did not curse the fig tree because he was hungry for figs, for goodness sake. 
Duh, duh, duh. Christ saw from afar, if you read the scripture, he saw from afar. What's the obvious question there? How far was he? How far is afar? Did anyone else see it? Is he the only one that saw the fig tree? Were they miles away? Tens of miles? Hundreds of miles? We can read the text and get a clue. But where, how far was he? He saw from afar the fig tree having leaves. And, and you see this picture. He does that all the time. The landowner, the vineyard owner of Mark 12, 1. There are three, there are three places in the Bible that we have this landowner, uh, or in the, in the Gospels. We have it in Luke 29. We have it in Mark 12, 1. We have Matthew 22. We have these places where he depicts himself as the landowner or the vineyard owner. He plants a vineyard. He goes into a what? A country. Where is the country? It's afar. So he's far away. And so he plants the garden. He plants the vineyard, if you wish. And he goes afar. Luke 29, for a long time. Again, how long is long? Why is there time injected in all of this? Why is he, he obviously has a timing to everything he's doing. Ecclesiastes 3. Obviously, Christ knew the fig tree had no figs. Again, he's omniscient. He's the landowner. He's the planter of the vineyard. He's the afar one, the one that stands afar and looks at his garden and looks at his vineyard. I should say Matthew 22, 33 through 46, Mark 12, 1 through 12, Luke 29 through 19 are three pieces. You have to read them side by side. They tell you the complete story or not the complete story, but a complete story, at least more than we would have if you read one individually. So we'll probably do that in the days that come by. So anyway, why did Jesus Christ curse the fig tree? He curses the fig tree because of Genesis 3. That's why. And therefore, he cleanses the temple because of Genesis 3. So when you see him doing this, cursing the fig tree and cleansing the the temple back to back, then you know that's Genesis 3. So that helps you understand why Adam put on the fig leaves and why this pattern is... Why God strips them off and and puts on the blood, right? I had someone say to me the other day, people don't understand the Bible, and so they blame the Bible. And I thought that was outstanding. That's exactly my experience. I submit that you, if you start simplifying the account of Adam and Eve because of the foundational aspect of it, when you simplify the foundation and you make it meaningless by simplifying it, that's the beginning of, of failure uh, throughout the rest of your study. If you get Adam and Eve simple and wrong, you'll, you'll be a mess all the way through. And there's just no way that uh, you will glean what I think he's put in there for you to glean. May simplifying scripture, especially Adam and Eve, is the uh, beginning of blaming the Bible. You will end up blaming the Bible. Adam did not. He did not blame Eve. Genesis 3.12. If you read Genesis 3.12 and you think Adam is blaming Eve there, back up, start again. He does the opposite of that. Genesis 3.12 is the opposite of the position that has Christ, I'm sorry, has Adam blaming Eve. 
There was a book, uh, some guy, uh, The Silence of Adam. Adam was not silent. He was extraordinary. You just can't figure out why. He did not stand there silently. If he did, he would have been the first in sin. And he is not the first in sin. Timothy 3. First Timothy, I'm sorry, Timothy 2. First Timothy 2. Romans 5.15 proves that he did not blame Eve, as does First Timothy uh, uh, 2, 14 and 15. 13 through 15 probably be better. And, and I've said countless times, I can't even begin to count them. In First Timothy 2.15, the woman shall be saved in the childbearing. It is the childbearing. In other words, there is a definitive article there. Paul is explaining to Timothy that there is the childbearing that saves the woman. And that directly returns to Genesis 3.20, right? And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Why did he do that? He renames her. And he says, because she is the mother of the living, Adam, the father of the dead, Romans 5.12, Eve, the mother of the women, Genesis 3.20. Both 3.20 and Romans 5.12 result, descend if you wish. Let me put it up here. The people trying to follow me today, I'm trying to do better and just not rush so much and, and hope that you can go back and find it. Genesis 3.20 and Romans 5.12 result, or descend would probably be better if you prefer that, from Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply, Genesis 1.28. Which uh, then brings in Genesis 2.25. And they were both naked, and, the, and Adam, the man, and his wife were not ashamed. So all those scriptures now start to explain the fig leaves. Nakedness symbolizes, connotes sinlessness. No fig coverings. He didn't need fig coverings because he had innocence. So did she. So that is an innocent element. That's why Christ, the last Adam, so I have the first Adam and the last Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49. Uh, reading 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49 really is helpful. Um, solving all of these different issues that come up in Adam and Eve. When you see that Adam and Christ have this relationship that is unbelievable. Of course they would. Did Adam know Christ? Of course he did. Christ walked in the garden and called him and said, Where are you? And of course he already he know that was not a physical question, that was a spiritual question. And there there is your confession beginning. Adam responds to the where are you, which is, Will you confess to me? And Adam said yes. And he has this beautiful confession. I'll get to that in a minute. Most people, again, unfortunately, the predominant Christian view thinks that what Adam says to Christ in the garden in response to, will you confess, where are you? 
And he's going to confess that he is in sin and why he is in sin and how he is in sin. He says something beautiful there. Not, uh, not blaming Eve. Gosh. We'll get to that in a minute. Christ, like the first Adam, is the last Adam, the final Adam. And it is not a contrast. It is a comparison. There is some contrasting elements, but there is also a comparison, a typology. And he was naked on the cross on purpose. So all of these pictures of Christ not being naked cannot be true because Adam was naked at 225. Both were naked, Adam and his wife, and they were innocent. So Christ, to be, again, sinless, would not make a mistake and be clothed on on the cross. And that is a denial of the obvious. Okay, from all of that, I had to give you all of that just to be able to read the question from Mary Ann. So I have a question from Mary Ann right here. You can see I've made, I made a few notes. Hi, Mary Ann. I made a few notes here. But, uh, so let me read this. Good morning, Pastor Stephen. How does she know that I got this in the morning? This is, uh, we have to check the house for cameras. See what she knows. Once again, I apologize. I am not one of your funny people. Uh, apparently, they think out there that I will only answer questions that are funny. I like the questions that are funny. I like the letters that are funny. But I really do appreciate this as well. I have to work too hard on jokes, she said. I have to work too hard on jokes, too, Marianne. They just never work when I work on them. I took a short break from Romans this morning. So she's going through the Romans series. So I'm going back through some of my notes from previous sermons. Early on, when I first started listening to you, I listened to a sermon from back in 1998. And you had said that Adam's first sin was, was actually that he forsook God for Eve. Thou shall have no other gods before me. I struggle with agreeing with you. Everyone struggles with agreeing with me, uh, Marianne. But eventually I just wear you down. I hope. Um, <laughs> where am I now? Even though I said I struggle with agreeing with you on that one. Even though I know that you are a highly trained professional. The reason I have that objection is because in Genesis 2.24, God says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Both of us agree God can't go against his word. So since he has told Adam that, wouldn't Adam's first sin be disobedience? I know you are light years ahead of me. That's impossible. Marianne, maybe a couple of feet, I hope. We're going to find out here in a minute. And I am just now, after a year and a half, starting to see little pictures everywhere I look. So could you please point me towards the verses that solidify your position? That's kind of what I have begun to do. That's why I've done this, because I want to make sure that 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 is... that is understand. I want you to understand that the position takes time, energy, and a lot of research. Uh, it isn't uh, arbitrary. Okay, I just want to note the condition traceable to a cause that I now confront. I have a problem now, and I know whose fault it is, and, and I know who to blame. And I am a blaming person, and so I won't, leave, I won't give his initials out, but his name is Dave. 
I gotta go, I gotta defend myself all the way back to 1998. You've got to be kidding me. That is almost hopeless. Uh, fortunately, uh, w- we have cassette tapes and videos prior to that, and they are safely stored in an undisclosed location, and they're, se- they're secured by incendiary devices and poisonous creatures, um, mostly spiders and snakes. And that ain't what it takes to love me, you fool, you fool. Yes, a question from the audience. They put those on there just to mess with you because you want to see what you can do. You're all stuck in what you're doing now. Yeah. It's so much fun to watch Yeah. Uh, I've told uh, Dave if he exists many times. Sorry about the Jim Stafford. No, I'm not. I love Jim Stafford. Uh, It's probably insane. 1974. Gosh, I'm old. Anyway, I, when I began this little so-called career of mine, I was very careful because I had different groups of people that were not, how do we put it, cooperative. They had, I, had, I had different views, significantly different views. And so we were a compromise. And I had to be quite careful about what I said. Otherwise, I would alienate. I alienate people just being normal. But if I, if I was not careful, I would lose one-third. Ultimately, that's, uh, that's what happened to us. So what I did back then is not nearly as, how do I want to put it, complex, nor, nor, nor is it as precise. Oh, and that was kind of my purpose. Okay, where was I? Marianne is correct to bring Genesis 2.24 in. Excellent job by Marianne. Um, that's therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Uh, wow. What's in that? Why did God, why is that in Genesis? And as you should know and have come to expect, that's, that is a far reaching verse. And obviously, right off the bat, the easy thing is the genetic combination, right? The combining of the father and the mother that resides in a child. The child is one flesh of two fleshes, right? So we can see that really quickly. The union of two results in one. And that, of course, brings in 1 Timothy 2.15. Nevertheless, she, that's the woman, will be saved, rescued, preserved in the childbearing. They, the the is usually left out. Notice the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. I used to do lectures where I said everything is Genesis 3.15. Um, and that uh, is not inaccurate. Genesis 3.15 is followed by what? What do you think it's followed by? That's right, Genesis 3.16. Yeah, thank you. One person applauded. Cheer, if you will. I know, where else can you going to find that kind of... Amazing, am I in the right place there? I'm afraid I might not get on the film. Genesis 3.15 is followed by Genesis 6, 3.16. I'll try again. No applause this time. But that's brilliant insight. You're not going to find that everywhere. I, I challenge you to find another church that makes that point. Anyway, it actually is quite significant that the Lord God... Genesis 3.15, the trial judge, the ancient of days, that's a trial there, says to the woman, after he had disclosed to Satan the 
the mystery of the seed of the woman. That's the mystery of godliness. That's 1 Timothy 3.16. The most important 3.16 in all of the Bible. Oh, that'll make somebody mad. But it is. He, the Ancient of Days, the Judge of Satan, the Christ himself on the throne, Daniel 7, Revelation uh, 1, says to Satan, seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. That mystery of godliness is there. That's the mystery of God adding humanity. Um, and he says that after he has said, given that to Satan, and of course the angelic host that is both with and against Satan, they all heard that for the first time. Uh, that is an event that, boy, you just got to stop and, and think to yourself, what happened? What was that like? He, after that, he says to her that her sorrow will be greatly multiplied in the pain of bringing forth children. And yes, there is physical pain of childbirth, but also the sorrow of knowing something. She now knows something. Every child that comes through her, and therefore all subsequently, and subsequently all children that ultimately come through all women are going to know death. She knows that now. So, and because death comes through the man, Romans 5.12, for all her children. And this, of course, is that wonderful lecture of mine. Everybody watches it, said no one ever. Fascinating, exciting lecture, said absolutely zero people. This is the continuity of germ cell plasm, somatic cells and germ cells, the ovum. And all of that very interesting biological information. She doesn't know necessarily um, microbiology. But she definitely knows that all of her children will die. And she knows why. And it is because of Adam. But the positioning, the order of Genesis 3.14 through 24 is critical to understand the meanings that are within it. Why is it snake, woman, man? Because that's the order. Snake, woman, man. What do I mean by that? The trial judge goes snake, woman, man, doesn't he? Why? Uh, the order of Genesis 3, 12 through 13 is man, woman, snake. But at 3, 14 through 24, it's snake, woman, man. Does that make any sense to anybody? Do I have to make make so the, the trial judge, the first one whom he sentences is the snake. The second one he sentences is the woman. That is the sense, that is the sentency order. Now, snake, woman, man is also the fallen order. We can agree. But I, I argue it's a lot more than that. Just because it's the, the fallen order is important. But a lot more than that because of Romans 5.14, 1 Corinthians 15.45-49. Adam is a type of Christ. And he is not deceived. Timothy 2, 14 and 15. Adam is last because he, he wasn't deceived. He understood uh, what was going to happen, what God had said to him and what was said previously to him. In other words, Adam, I believe, and I think the evidence is overwhelming, figured out the solution in part. when, And he figured it out even, I believe, before Eve 
or the woman confronted was confronted by the snake. But Adam had figured it out, at least in part, which is why he renames the woman mother of all living. He had to know why he was doing that and what it meant. Again, I got the continuity of germ cell plasm. He knew that she would be saved through the childbearing. He, he connected that, of course, to uh, Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. All he knew was the seed of the woman, but he understood what the seed of the woman meant. In other words, Adam is sentenced last because of what he believed God would do. And Adam had acted on his belief in the goodness and the mercy of God. He had a steadfastness there because he is not deceived again. He did not get deceived. Deceived to believe what? What Eve believed. And we know what Eve believed. It's in the Bible. The fig leaves is the foremost attestation that Adam had this worked out. So let me try to rephrase it a bit. Adam is the only one of the three that held fast to the goodness and the mercy of God and was never, never deceived otherwise at any time on that issue. As to that truth, again, 1 Timothy 2.14.15. That's why Adam is last. That's why it's snake woman, Adam. Genesis 3.17, the ancient of days, the trial judge, the judge presiding over the trial of seven, the, uh, of Satan, sorry, the woman and Adam. That's what he is doing there. He says to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. So never, men, never heed the, never, just don't do it. Look at the trouble. Judge is going to get you. Just say, I'm sorry, I can't heed your voice. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten, cursed is the ground. And I made that point before. Would you expect that? He should have said cursed is you, but he didn't curse Adam at all. He did not do it. Why not? Does he know? He's the omniscient judge. He knows all things. He knows the heart and the minds of men. Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten, cursed is the ground for your sake. Obviously, that is an incredible thing. And to the dust you shall return. So that helps you understand why you put the fig leaves on and how the fig leaves relate to that. Genesis 2.7, the dust you shall return. That's Genesis 2.7. Adam would know what that meant. He would know exactly where the dust was. And he would know that that's where he would return. We covered that a little bit in the Amen. So what did the woman say to him? What exactly did Adam heed? She said something to him and he heeded her. What did she say? Obviously, she's dying and she cries out. And I believe she cried out Joel 2.32, except she said it this way. Adam saved me. First Adam, the first Adam saved me. Now, I don't think she knew the second Adam was coming until Genesis 3.15. Then they all knew the second Adam was coming. Even Satan and the fallen angels and the unfallen angels. But almost everyone who reads Genesis 3.17 through 24, especially Genesis 3.17 through 19, assumes that Adam is being harshly condemned. And he is not. And why isn't he? Because he does things really well. Did he sin? Yes, he did. Um, uh, again, 
the, the harshly condemned silence of Adam's stuff is dominant. The evidence is contrary. Genesis 3.21. Adam is facing consequences, but not eternal condemnation. He was not cursed, nor is the woman cursed. Satan, however, is cursed. You remember that from a few months ago. He's eternally cursed, condemned. Why the differences, I asked then, ask now. Why the differences? There must be a difference. Two of them, they have, they're sentenced and they ultimately physically die, but they are not condemned. So you might think that they are absolved, pardoned. Well, that would be true. Why were they pardoned and how were they pardoned? They were pardoned by the blood. Why were they pardoned by the blood? Where did you see the confession of Adam? And I think that's obvious. I'm repeating all of this just to answer Marianne's question. So what is the first sin of Adam? Was it cleaving to his wife and leaving his father? Or was it disobeying the commandment of Genesis 2.17? Do not eat from this fruit. Or from this tree. Did Adam fully understand? When, and God said, you'll surely die. What would Adam ask? I've done this many times. Adam would say, what's death? Did he know anything about death? Yes, he did. Why did he know it? I had fallen angels. I have Satan. I have darkness on the earth half the time. He understood that something was wrong. And he understood what his role was. And what the angels thought his role was. So yes, of course, he understood the meaning of surely die. Did he believe what God had said at Genesis 2.17? Yes, he did. Did Eve believe what God said at Genesis 2.17? No, she didn't. Genesis 3, 4 through 6. So now we're going to ask, what is the anatomy of sin? Adam's sin and all sin. What is the anatomy of your sin? How does sin progress? What is the steps of sin? Last week I proposed that all sin is consciousness. How beautifully I did that, knowing, well, I may, I may have had this letter by then. Let me see. I got the letter on the 19th. Last week was the what? What was last Sunday? Well, it was seven days from today, so it would be the... Uh, 19th. Well, then I'm not as smart as I thought. I must have thought it, about it. I, sa- I proposed, I actually said that all sins is a consciousness event. Sin originates in consciousness. The mind. The spiritual part of man. Again, Genesis 2-7. Your two parts, your spiritual part, your consciousness, your existence. And you're a body. And the sin part starts in the mind, in the soul, in the body. That's Ecclesiastes 12, 6 through 7, as well as 7, 22 of Genesis, that you're two parts. You do not, you are not the body. I've said that thousands of times. You are the soul. You are a soul with a body, not a body with a soul. We, mankind, well, some of us do, those who did not succumb to academia and the media and Hollywood and face-face and googly and all of that garbage, those that have not succumbed to that, we think, hopefully, we think the physical aspect is, the, is what 
the sin is. That's not. The physical aspect is just the manifestation of the thoughts. If you wish, the heart and the mind, the spiritual aspect. They are not physical. Even though the heart is a physical device and the mind is a physical or the brain is a physical device, that is not what the Bible usually means when it addresses them. It addresses them as, as if they are spiritual. We know that they're both neurological, efferent and, or efferent and afferent uh, neurological signals and all of that autonomic nervous system, all that fun stuff that we will do again because it's so much fun. So the question thus becomes, what did the woman do first? What's it say? The Bible says it. She saw. What's that? What is seen? Describe seeing to me. What is it? It's photons hitting receptors going into a brain and having electrochemical reactions that is then read by what? By the mind. She thought the fruit was good. She thought the, the, the fruit was pleasant. She desired to be like God. What is desire? How is that physically manifested? What comes first, the desire or the physical manifestation of the desire? Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Ezekiel 28, 16 through 17. Satan desired to be like God. And he trafficked the lie that would enable him to be like God uh, throughout the uh, angelic realm. See also Matthew 5:28, Matthew 9:4, Matthew 15:19, Luke 24:38, where all of that is Christ. I see you. All of that is Christ saying the thoughts of man, the wickedness of man, the evil of man's thinking. In Adam's case, though, he is a type of Jesus Christ and never deceived by the lie of Satan. He, when he was confronted with a, ultimately a binary situation, I eat or I don't eat. He ate, knowing fully that he would surely die. Did Eve know that she would surely die? She did not know that. She thought otherwise. So she had conflict as to whether or not it was true. Adam knew before he ate that he would surely die. And again, Adam understood the totality of what surely die meant, the death, the meaning of surely die. How did he know that? Because he asked God. He obviously did. Adam's thoughts were not Eve's thoughts. Adam disobeyed Genesis 2.17 and the full weight of it, of that, fell upon him. Again, Romans, all sin, all death comes from Adam. And it falls on us because Adam was the king, if you wish to think of him that way. He is the federal king, ruler of the earth, the federal head. But he did not doubt God's character. The woman clearly did doubt God's character. And so they pursued uh, uh, past that were distinct. The woman had selfishness and unbelief and that led to her eating. Adam's choice was to join Eve in sin in death. Adam willfully, knowingly chose death. That's disobedience. No question about it. Death through disobedience. And and what what then what thoughts led to this decision? He left God. He knew he was leaving God. He knew God would leave him. And yet he did it. Did Adam, had Adam considered the immense consequences? Yes, again, I say yes. That's the fig leaves. The fig leaves are telling me that he understood the consequences. He knew that he would leave God. So in all of that, I believe I've answered Mary Ann's question. Does anyone agree with me? Let the record show that I see no affirmation, no encouragement whatsoever. <laughs> 
And I believe, as I said many times, that Adam had prepared himself long before. How long? How long is long? Genesis 3.12. Here's this wonderful thing that he says, Genesis 3.12. This is his confession. The woman you gave with me. That demonstrates his process, his thoughts. The woman you gave with me is an extraordinary statement. It is a confession. It's amazing. It's not simple. And that will answer Marianne's question. Just look at that answer and you will figure out what he was doing and why. And what was the order? Where did disobedience come? Where did the the woman you gave me? And if you don't figure it out, well, I will be back next week. It's on my list. It's right here. Uh, evaluate fully the meaning of the woman you gave me. But I don't want to do it for you because that's cheating you out of it. Okay, that as always was a lot of fun as I, de- as I define funner. So where are we now? What's next? What's the choices? Well, there's extracellular matrix metalloproteinase inducer, or M-E-M-M-P-R-I-N. Everyone loves that. What is this again? Yes, microbiology. Why do I want to go into microbiology? For short, it's CD147. I should put that down there. What is CD147? Well, it's a metalloproteinase, a matrix metalloproteinase inducer. And that's what EMPRIN stands for. Again, CD147. That's cluster of differentiation 147. Uh, the COVID-19 virus attaches to ACE2 receptors, as everyone knows. By everyone, I mean you three and me. Uh, but uh, I hope everyone out there listening to me, the COVID-19 uh, virus attaches to angiotensin-converting enzyme number two. They are a, a surface protein on a living cell. And everyone knows that. The whole world knows that. Microbiological world, epidemiology, they all know this. Every, the pulmonary people know all the uh, all the cardiacs, there isn't hardly a single doctor now that does not understand angiotensin converting enzyme number two, and I think that's extraordinary. By the way, oh, uh, but now it's suspected that there's another entry mechanism, another uh, another method that the COVID-19 can get inside of a living cell in order to replicate. I see the hand. Thank you. Uh, and that is uh, CD147, cluster of differ- differentiation 147. Um, and, and we have this, there's this unprecedented collaborative worldwide effort to halt this virus. And I want you to start thinking about where else, where in the Bible has there been unprecedented collaborative worldwide effort? And that's right, Genesis 11. But we have it again. It's never happened like this before. The researchers all over the world have noticed the expression levels of CD147, especially in asthmatics and diabetics, uh, people with those complications, those patients, those complicated patients. And those, these comorbidities are essentially vulnerable to mortality. In other words, if you have an asthmatic condition or a diabetic condition, uh, COPD, any kind of lung issue at all, uh, you are particularly, especially vulnerable to mortality. If an infection with COVID-19, 2019, occurs. And I should clarify that expression. I said expression levels of COVID, uh, I'm sorry, of uh, 
cluster of differentiation 147, um, expression levels. Expression levels are just the amounts of CD147 that the body produces. In this case, that's all that I'm talking about. So the body is producing CD147. It also produces ACE2 receptors. It produces all kinds of things. But in the case of the CD147, it's producing them more in people who have asthmatic and diabetic situations. Um, also, there's many other things. Cancerous tumors are associated with higher expression levels of CD147. Alzheimer's, heart disease. Now you know why I'm interested in CD147. Inflammatory processes. Uh, and, I re and I said asthma and diabetes. And I should also say that CD147, as with the ACE2, is a cell surface protein. It's a transmembrane protein. It's an immunoglobulin. Globulin. Immunoglobulin. What does that mean? That means uh, that it resides on the surface of a living cell. as has transmembrane. So here I have my CD147 on top of a living cell. And if a COVID-19 can get to it, then because it can transmembrane, that means that COVID-19 can enter into that living cell and seize control of the replication mechanism. So in other words, it penetrates the living cell membrane. That's why it's called a transmembrane protein. It can penetrate the living cell membrane. And, and again, that's when it can become difficult. It can make tremendous amounts of copies of itself. And those copies spread out throughout your body and they find other uh, ACE2 receptors and they find other CD147s and they go into more living cells and eventually they kill all those cells and us. And if the ones that don't do that, we expel out and they therefore transfer to other hosts. So high levels of CD147 allows for more probability that a virus pathogen can bind and kill a blood cell. So that little virus particle can kill a blood cell, and if, it, if, that, if the pathogen gets into you, into your living cell through that 147, uh, CD147 or ACE2, uh, then that's the problem. And so this is basically math. It's all about math. If I get high levels of expression of CD147, oh, and we do love us some math, don't we? But this is really just math. So all I have to do is reduce the CD147 expression. What's causing it? If it's diabetes, is it Alzheimer's, is it heart disease, is it asthmatic issues? Uh, what is doing it? Inflammatory? And well, yeah, it is inflammatory because COVID-19 causes an inflammatory response. And as soon as it causes an inflammatory response, what does the body do? That's right, it produces CD147s and now it's got more avenues to get into living cells. So if I can reduce the CD147 expression, that is why uh, uh, these anti-inflammatories are being administered in steroids, because if they can reduce the infl inflammation, then they can reduce the CD147 expression. And if they can do that, then they can reduce the uh, virus's pathogen, the pathogen's killing opportunities. It's, it's entry uh, access points is what we're talking about. If I can make the entry, well, the entry access points low, then uh, shut the doors, if you will. Keep out the devil. If I can do that, uh, then I've got it. Very, few, very little is known about the CD147. So they've only discovered it 25 years ago. 
And all of that to say the world's knowledge is exploding, increasing. Daniel 12.4, Luke 17, Noah Lot. It's, expl- it's unbelievable what they're learning and how they're getting together. It's never been seen before at this level, except for Genesis 6, Genesis 11, Genesis 13, and Genesis 19. We've not seen this before except for those places. Whereas we, the church who keeps the name of Christ... That's the, that's the I am that I am, Genesis 3.14. I'm sorry, Exodus 3.14. The Elohim, Genesis 1.1. If we keep the name of Christ and understand he's in the Elohim and he is the I am that I am, Exodus 3.14. John 8.12, John 14.6, Deuteronomy 6.4, Revelation 3.8-10. Then we, of all people, should be watching what the world is doing because he says to us, watch therefore, Matthew 24, 42. He says in Mark 13, 32 through 37, it's a commandment. He commands us. He orders us. Let me give it to you. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. We should be watching. And I'm watching these people do incredible things. What are they going to do with it ultimately? The only hope, I hear it all the time, the only hope the world has is science. Oh dear. The Hebrew betrothal ceremony is the language of Mark 13, 32-37. So when you read that, understand that's the betrothal ceremonies platform or template that's the parable of the ten virgins Matthew 25 and the wise will understand it but only the wise where else am I I get asked somewhat often consistently about the mystery of the mark of the beast Revelation 13 18 and again more wisdom here's wisdom let him who has wisdom understand calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man his number is 666 Revelation 13, 16 through 17 adds the context. The mark of the beast. The mark, the name of the beast, the number of the name will be received by all who worship the beast, small and great, rich and poor, free and enslaved. Will receive the mark on their right hand and on their forehead. Most obvious question then, do they do so? Do they receive the mark, the name, the number, and recognize that there are commas there? They're not individual things. They're all the same thing. The mark, the name, the number. So the mark is a name and it's also a number. The mark, the name, the number. of the na- Do they receive the number of the name, the name and the mark, knowing that it's evil? Or do they do it accidentally? Cover this before. Or do they do it because it's expedient, it's utilitarian? Revelation 14, 9 through 11 helps us. An angel announces that all who have the mark will perish. So they certainly know then. They know. And all who take the mark, name, and number know that they have chosen Satan and the Satan man, which is the combining. So I believe that they know that they have chosen the Satan man and they have rejected the God man. That's, of course, Jesus Christ. And right after they take it, the very first bold judgment, we have this foul and oozing, loathsome sore that comes upon those who have the mark, erasing any possibility of controversy. Everybody now knows for certain that they have chosen the Satan man and they have rejected the God man. And the mark itself becomes a painful, stinking, oozing mess, Revelation 16:2. And I've long considered the relationship between 
Revelation chapters 13 and 16 and Genesis 3. I want to notice the contrast mostly. Usually I'm looking for typology. But the woman chose, didn't she? Though she's deceived, she chose to reject God, to not believe God. And we're supposed to believe what he says about himself. Believe because you've kept my name. You've believed me. Do you believe this? John 11.25 I am the resurrection, the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe me? The woman chose to not believe. The man Adam and she ate. The man Adam ate, but he believed. Never deceived. And the tree of life was protected from the fallen man and the woman. We all know that. Why did he do it? But he did it. And so I see that pattern with the stinking, oozing, painful sore, the mark. I hope you do. Because there, the taking of the mark, the name, the number is irreversible. It's final. It's eternal. So I know something has to be there that I'm not seeing. There's somehow, in some way, the taking of the mark is similar to the taking of the tree of life after you are in sin because that is a final circumstance that's why he protects the tree you're going to eat and live forever in a sin death state Genesis 3.22 and he says I can't let you do it so he guards the tree and therefore those who have wisdom and have understanding who refuse the mark who know that this is a lie the lie is both a lie and a person and the evil is both evil and a person and a man it's a demonic hybrid man The people who refuse the mark, though they may die, they'll live forever. And so again, I'm comparing that to what happened with the tree of life and the guarding of it. And the driving out of man so he can't have it, even though he is in a sin-death state. Whereas those who gladly, excitingly, and embrace and worship the lie, and I think they do it fully with complete knowledge, they run to get that mark and worship him. Who is like the beast? The person who is the lie. They embrace him and they reject the one who is the truth, the way, and the life, don't they? Again, John 14, 6. And though they live, these people, for in a temporary condition of death, they die forever. I think by, the mark is biological. It's also ultimately a worship. But it has a biological component, which means that he is able to defeat viruses, pathogens, aging, not Lot and Noah, Noah specifically. Basically, I'm suggesting that um, the search for the equivalent of guarding the tree of life at Genesis 3.22 has got to be found in Revelation 4, chapter 4 through chapter 14.11. So in other words, something that is equivalent to the tree of life in Genesis 3.22, the guardian of it, is in Gen- Revelation 4, chapter 4 through chapters 14 and to verse 11. Because i got, I got to be able to find it. Because I know that he would not have a permanent condition without that. He doesn't do it. He offers an opportunity to confess and be saved and reach for his hand, right? In my equiescent, humble opinion. That's a redundancy, but I liked it anyway. It must be there, what I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find the tree of life in Revelation. Essentially, Satan is declared beyond redemption in his trial. Because you have done this, Genesis 3.14. After he had done... Ezekiel 28:16 and Isaiah 14, bringing the darkness of Genesis 1:2. After he'd done all of that, and then he did this, which was attack the wife of the man and bring them into death. 
Because you have done this, God, Christ, calls him the most cursed of all of the angels. So he's cursed. And I submit that the taking of the mark, the name, the number must be evaluated with Genesis 3.14 and with Genesis 3.22 on the table. Boiling it all down. Adam and Eve versus Satan. Refusing the mark versus taking the mark. Adam and Eve refused the mark, if you want to think of it that way. Both of them did. They didn't go to the tree of life. How long did they fight that? Thank you. I see it. Now, where are we now? Only the shadow. I think no. I doubt he knows. I hardly know. I I do know this. Being validated as a highly trained religious professional, and I'm going to bring that up every week the rest of my so-called career. Quantum gravity is considered by physics in the physics community as the key to resolving creation. They're looking for the origin of mass. They can't figure out the origin of mass, and they think it's in gravity. Quantum gravity, there's also Newtonian gravity. Both of them are a huge problem in the physics world because though they expound all these theories, no one has ever seen a particle of gravity. They call it a graviton. There are There is no gravitational particle, despite all of the hoping, all of the theorizing. They're trying to find particles that they think might be affected by the graviton. If we can find the particle that the graviton affects, then we, say, we can say there's a graviton. Well, they can't even find that yet. And I don't believe they ever will. There is no evidence of a graviton particle, nothing. And that leads many to conclude that gravity cannot be quantized which means subdivided, reduced into a measurable increment of particle. And this, of course, is disastrous to the physicalists. It's a disaster, and they know it. The implication is, then, that if gravity can't be quantized, cannot be subdivided, cannot be reduced into incremental particles, then it must not be physical. And I say, yes, you're, you're on it now. Because if it's not physical, then what is it? What's left if it's not physical? All that's left is consciousness, intelligence, spiritual. And you can't teach that in school, any school ever. You've got to stick to the lie. Anyway, the resurrection of the body proves existence. Remember me saying that? God insists, Jesus Christ who is God and who says he's the resurrection and the life, the only one who can resurrect the body and reinstall the breath of the spirit of life. That's Genesis 2-7. He's the only one that can reverse the curse. He's the only one. 722 Genesis. 11:25 John. He's the only one that can do it. He is adamant that the bodies, your body, my body goes to dust. He's adamant that our bodies be resurrected. Why? Why not just create new bodies? He doesn't. Why doesn't he? He could do it from nothing, right? But he doesn't. If he did, he would prove that the law of conservation of energy is not true. That's his law. We just found it. Energy can neither be created nor destroyed in a system. A system always has the same amount of energy unless it is that system has outside energy from an outside source. Is that true? Why is it true? If Christ, and in Christ all things consist, Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Everything is in Christ, so what, what is he then? He's the system. 
And nothing can be created or destroyed in the system. And he's the system. How does that affect the law of conservation of energy if he's the system? I, I, I have no friends, so I'm just asking for myself. Christ translates us. He changes us. The bodies of the saved, the bodies, our bodies are new and that they are originated. The mystery of 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 54 is that which is corrupted will be will put on incorruption and that which is mortal will put on immortality. The dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That is not a new body in the sense that it is created anew. It is the body that is changed. Christ also resurrects the lost. The sea gives up up its dead, but they are not changed into immortality. That's Revelation 20, 11 through 15. I wish I had time, but I don't. I just want you to figure out, evaluate fully the, the meanings of the woman you gave me. Find where the tree of life is in Revelation and then... Get on to that cursing of figs and cleansing the temple, how that fits together. And last is uh, immunoglobulins. Okay, skip that. The resurrection of the body proves existence. Have that ready for next week. We will see you, I think. Therefore, I didn't uh, believe Hollywood. <laughs>